everybody. How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay. I went to a garden party the other day because, uh, well, I don't like to brag, but I'm a grown-up. And there was something at this garden party that I had never encountered before. Well, okay, two things. One, a garden party. And B, a llama. But not just any llama, a therapy llama. The llama's trainer, who was very nice, brought up the fact that this llama had just started its therapy training and was also, and I will quote, not the brightest llama, but very sweet. Now, I can't vouch for this llama's disposition in comparison to other llamas. I am at best a llama novice. But I will say that the first part of this trainer's analysis seems a little bit harsh, especially because this llama was going into its therapy training with what I think was a significant disadvantage. The llama was named Panda. You can't just name an animal the type of animal you wish it was and not expect there to be some cognitive dissonance. It would be like if Chevrolet released a new line of station wagons called the Chevrolet Ferrari, and then we're like, it's not the best station wagon. Anyway, I can't speak to how bright they may or may not have been, but I will say that I think Panda has the makings of an excellent therapist. Because after only a brief session, I did learn a new truth about myself, which is that I'm afraid of llamas. So, great job, Panda. Anyway, let's talk about a comic book, shall we? Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Devin Tui. The 90s have come to the Titans, but are sadly not as gay as can be. There are monsters that require some fightin' and killin' with a trademarked old scree. The sleeves are a-leavin' the costumes. That fabric is needed for pouches. Out with the chops, in with the gloom. It's time for a grimdark synopsis. Synopsis? Thanks, Devin. New Titans, number 66, May 1990. Fatal Attraction. But, you know, not that Fatal Attraction. Written by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Drawed by Tom Grummet. Inked by Al Vey. Lettered by John Costanza. Colored by Adrienne Roy. And edited by Jordan Peterson and Mike Carlin. Teen Titan Roll Call, Raven, Jericho, Starfire, Cyborg, Troya, and Speedy. Previously in the New Titans. An indeterminate amount of comic book time ago, the Titans were visiting a friend at the Star Labs medical facility. Their friend was running late, so our heroes passed the time by watching through one-way glass while a jerkhole with a big penis got a medical exam. 
After his exam, the big penis jerkhole in question introduced himself as Eric Forrester and generously offered to do sex at all the female titans with his big penis. They all declined, but Raven seemed more flattered than offended. Then there was some complicated nonsense about some geologist lawyers who were actually rat monsters but were actually actually ancient Egyptian gods but also aliens, but then the Titans murdered all of them so we don't have to think about them anymore. Hooray! Oh, and Dick bought a circus. God zooks! Have the Titans seen the last of Eric Forrester and his big penis? Are there any HIPAA laws protecting medical privacy in the DC Universe? And will Donna's creepy husband, disgraced former Professor Terry Long, ever publish an academic paper? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, nope. They definitely haven't seen the last of Eric Forrester, and at least one Titan seems not to have seen the last of his big penis. No, but to be fair, they're weren't any HIPAA laws in this universe either until 1996. And amazingly, yes. Donna and her creepy husband, disgraced former professor Terry Long, are hosting a dinner party to celebrate the fact that for the first time in like a decade, Terry has finished a paper. And not only that, but it's being published. The paper is titled, Greek Gods, Myths, and Reality. I bet the original title was something like, Stuff I Photocopied From My Wife's Diary. But the editors at Hesperia or whatever probably cleaned it up a little. In addition to Titans, Speedy, Cyborg, and Starfire, the party is attended by Vic's girlfriend slash physical therapist, Dr. Sarah Charles, Donna's old roommate, Sharon Tracy, and a photographer named Joseph, who Donna is trying to hook up with Sharon. The dinner party goes pretty well, at least by Titan standards, in that nobody blows anything up and no supervillains Kool-Aid man their way through the wall. Vic mentions that his robot parts make him lactose intolerant, which is good to know. Since Dick is out of town doing circus stuff, Speedy takes this opportunity to hit on Starfire. Boo! Dr. Sarah Charles calls Speedy a fucking creep. Hooray! Since neither Jericho or Raven were able to attend, the rest of the gang speculates as to whether their absent teammates are hooking up and having makeouts. It turns out that they are. Just not with each other. There's supposed to be some misdirection about that, I think, because they are having parallel conversations with their respective makeout partners, but since the lady talking to Joey doesn't have the wavy lines around her speech bubbles that let us know that she talks like this, it's pretty obvious that it isn't Raven. In recent issues, we've seen that Joey has been spending time with a bunch of different ladies. After some prompting, he tells tonight's date that he cares about her. As she is leaving, she sheepishly asks if maybe on their next date she could spend the night instead of leaving right after they hook up. Joey agrees, but he doesn't seem too stoked about the idea. Meanwhile, Raven is making out with Eric Forrester, the big-dicked creep from Star Labs. Once they stop smooching, Raven is like, 
I'm kind of new to having emotions, on account of, for a long time, my extra-dimensional bad dad who lived in my bird-shaped soul tummy would try to escape and wreck the universe whenever I had a feeling. But spending time with you has been wonderful, and I totally trust you, even though I am very vulnerable. Eric is like, huh? Oh, yeah, uh, you're totally hot and I probably love you or something. Look, I have to go right now, but I'll see you later, babe. The next day, Jericho is hanging out in the park and playing the flute with his dance instructor, Paul, while a lady named Tina jazzercises around in her leg warmers. When Joe finishes his tune, Paul is like, Dang, dude, you've only had two lessons and you're already rad at the flute. Tina is like, I bet he's rad at lots of stuff. You know, like sex stuff. Paul is like, yeah, no, I got that. Raven shows up and gives Joey a big old hug. The two Titans say goodbye to Paul and Tina and walk around the park together. Raven is like, Hey, do you remember that guy Eric that we watched take those medical tests at Star Labs? The one whose dick nobody could shut up about? Well, a little while ago he wrote me a letter, and ever since then we've been hanging out together and making out. We're really happy and are in love. I know he came off as kind of a jerkhole when we first met, but he's really great and he makes me feel happy. I haven't allowed myself to get really close with anyone before this, so it's kind of a big deal for me. Anyway, I haven't told anyone else about this yet. Eric thinks we should keep our relationship a secret, which I know is kind of a red flag, but it's cool. He just knows that he made a bad first impression and doesn't want my friend's disapproval to ruin our good time. You won't tell the rest of the Titans, will you? Joey promises not to betray her confidence. Raven is like, Oh, Joey, I knew I could trust you. Their conversation is interrupted when they hear some gunfire coming from nearby. Turns out, some jerks are doing a bank robbery. The robbery jerks rush out of the bank, guns blazing, and jump in their van. They start to make their getaway, but Joey and Raven run into the street and stand in their path. The jerks try to run them over, but at the last minute, Raven teleports away, and Joey uses his creepy lemur eye power to jump into the body of the getaway driver and make him crash the van. Joe uses body jumping shenanigans to make the robbers beat each other up for a minute. Then he gets bored with that and hops out of their bodies to beat them up regular style for a while. The crooks try to run away, but Raven appears in front of them and is like, Crime is for dorks! The Azerathian empath uses her nonsense powers to make all of the criminals feel bad about themselves and decide to be nice. Or at least she tries to. It doesn't go great. There's some kind of an emotional magic explosion which leaves all of the crooks and Joey writhing around on the ground in great physical pain. Weird. Maybe the crooks already felt bad about themselves, which is why they were doing crime in the first place. So when Raven used her powers to try to make them experience emotions that they were already experiencing, it caused a feedback loop that made her powers go all wackadoo. Nah, they were probably just doing crime, because crime is cool. Raven has her own theory. She figures she probably just has a cold. 
See, since Raven grew up in another dimension, she doesn't have the same immunities to diseases that humans from Earth like me have. So any kind of germ that got up in her could make her magic get totally mucked up. After making sure that Joey isn't going to die, the apparently ailing avian-themed enchantress hurries home to self-quarantine. She calls Eric to cancel their date so that she doesn't get him sick, but a little while later, he shows up at her door anyway. Raven is like, Oh, Eric, you shouldn't have come. My powers are all out of whack and I might infect you with a germ or something. Eric is like, Nah, I don't get sick. My body reacts to germs the way I do to boundaries. It just ignores him. They make out for a while. Then Eric is like, Now let's do some sex. Raven is like, No, Eric, I'm sorry, but I'm not ready for that yet. My conception was the result of a demon assaulting my mother, so growing up with empathic powers, I picked up a lot of complicated feelings about sex. Eric is like, Oh, yeah. That's cool. We can do it later. No problem. Uh, on an unrelated note, I'm going to leave now. But I'll see you later. Bye! Meanwhile, back at the Titan Tower, Cyborg is looking for Speedy, who is supposed to be on monitor duty, but appears to have just wandered off. As he is searching, he bumps into Jericho in the computer room. Vic looks at the screen and is like, Hey, aren't those the Star Labs medical files on that jerk hole with the huge wiener? What are you looking at those for? Joey looks at him meaningfully, and Vic is like, Oh, okay, I'll just read over your shoulder. Huh, well, all this stuff looks totally normal. Wonder why he was at Star Labs in the first place. Joey tosses Vic a book. Victor is like, Huh? My girlfriend slash physical therapist journal? Say, that's right, she was Eric's doctor. I bet all of her notes on his case are in here. And, since this is six years before HIPAA laws are passed, reading this is probably legal, and therefore morally correct. He flips through the book for a second, and then is like, Well, Joey, it looks like all of your concerns about Eric Forrester are totally valid. A few hours later, Cyborg, Joey, Donna, Speedy, and Starfire convene in the meeting room. They talk for a minute about the fact that they're worried about Raven. Then Raven shows up and is like, So, what's all this about? Donna is like, We'd like to talk to you about Eric Forrester. Raven looks at Joey and is like, Fucking seriously, Joey? Joey kind of shrugs uncomfortably. Donna is like, Look, Raven, we're just worried that you're gonna get hurt. Raven is like, Oh, come on, Donna. It's not that big. Cyborg is like, Okay, I wasn't at Star Labs with you guys that day, but from what Beast Boy keeps telling me, yes, it is. But that's not what this is about. Somebody messed around with Eric's computer files and changed them. And from what I read in my girlfriend's diary, Eric has some kind of computer powers. If he's not up to something shady, then why would he try to prevent strangers from accessing his files? Apparently, Eric not wanting his girlfriend's co-workers to read his medical history is not the smoking gun that Victor thought it would be. Raven is pissed. She's like, 
You fucking suck, Joey. I thought I could trust you. Starfire is like, calm down, Raven. It isn't Joey's fault that he immediately broke his promise to you. Raven is like, you know what? Fuck you too, Coriander. I don't need to take this shit from a lady who got space married and then left her boyfriend to sullenly nurse a cup of coffee on his birthday as the third wheel on her honeymoon. You're probably still just mad because of that one time when I used my powers to make Dick make out with me. But that was an indeterminate amount of time ago. Get over it, Starfire. Donna is like, Oh yeah? Well, what about that one time when we first met and you manipulated all of our emotions so that we'd help you fight your demonic bad dad? Raven is like, Donna, in what way is that at all relevant to this conversation? Donna is like, I guess it isn't, but that was kind of a messed up thing to do. Cyborg is like, look, we're getting a little off topic here. Will you please just read my girlfriend's diary? It'll help show you why we're worried about Eric. Plus, there's some pretty cool stuff about me in there. Raven is like, Look, you dummies. What part of I am a fucking empath don't you understand? If Eric was in any way untrustworthy, my magic nonsense powers would let me know. It seems like now would be a good time for somebody to bring up that those powers didn't warn her that Joey couldn't keep a fucking secret. But nobody does. Instead, Speedy gets out one of his few pointy arrows and is like, She seems like she's getting kind of worked up. Think I should shoot her? Yeah, I'm gonna shoot her. Damn it, Speedy! Cyborg is like, Damn it, Speedy! You can't just shoot arrows at every woman who raises their voice at you. Speedy is like, You can't? I should probably write that down. Raven is like, You know what? Fuck this, and fuck all of you. I thought you might be happy for me that I was in love, but I guess Eric was right about you guys. You are a bunch of assholes. Go to hell. With those parting words, Raven teleports off to the stalagmite-filled pocket dimension she goes to to yell about her feelings. As she leaves, she uses her nonsense powers to tear the giant picture of herself off the wall and burn a huge hole in the middle of it which I think in Titan's bylaws means that she has officially tendered her resignation. Once she's gone, Speedy is like, Wow, you guys sure fucked that one up. Donna is like, Yeah, she raised some pretty good points. I mean, Eric does seem like a piece of shit, but who amongst us hasn't dated or even married a total piece of shit? Everyone is diplomatically quiet. Joey stares thoughtfully at the charred remains of Raven's poster. Meanwhile, Raven sits on a stalagmite in her feelings dimension and cry yells for a while. She knows that the Titans were genuine in their concern, but also feels like they were being jerks. She wishes that her mom had taught her some life lessons that weren't related to demon battling and the importance of suppressing emotions. Back on Earth, Joey goes downtown and questions one of his mother's old contacts from her spy network, a tough middle-aged lady named Senora Pinheiro. Senora Pinheiro remembers Joey fondly, but says that she's been out of the spy game since the Bay of Pigs invasion. Which was in 1961, so 
How the fuck old is Joey if she remembers him from working with his mom before that? I mean, there is some precedent in comic books for mutants who have had mutton chops at some point in their life being secretly 190 years old. Anyway, Joey whips out a picture of Raven's mom, Arella, and asks Senora Pinheiro if she can find her. Later that night, Raven calls Eric and fills him in on what happened. Eric is like, Man, I told you you couldn't trust your friends. They're just jealous of what we've got. Raven offers to teleport over, and Eric is like, No, don't! I told you, you can't ever come over unannounced. Uh, my apartment is messy. I'll be at your place in like half an hour or so. On that entirely unsuspicious note, Eric hangs up the phone. He starts gloating to himself that everything is going according to his plan. He looks in the mirror and is like, Raven is going to fall all the way for you, and soon she'll be totally yours, just like all the rest. Isn't that right, Barbara? We see that in his bed is the withered, unmoving husk of a woman's body. Presumably, Barbara. So... That's not great. To be continued. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey? Mm hmm What's the most Portland thing you've done recently? Hmm. You, like, made a lentil walnut burger, or left a passive-aggressive note to a dog? <laughs> um, gosh, that is a good question. I'm sure I've done something like that. Nothing leaps to mind? No, God, am I a bad Portlander? No, maybe. Shit. Have you bitched about Californians recently? Nope. Oh, then you are a bad Portlander. Oh, man. <laughs> what about you? So last night I went and saw a friend play guitar at an anarchist bookstore. There you go. Yeah, it was called Mother Foucault's. Uh. It was pretty fun. I was one of, I think, six people in attendance, which was nice. It was nice to see my friend. I knew everybody who was there. But it did create a situation where, like, about halfway through the second song, I started really needing to go to the bathroom. and. When you are nearly a quarter of the audience, that makes more of a statement when you leave the room than I wanted to make. And so it was kind of an uncomfortable show in some ways. Did you have to sit through the whole thing holding? I don't know if I had to, but I did. Oh, man. That will color the experience significantly. Yeah, it kind of did. But, like, if you leave when he starts playing a song, I didn't want my other friends to be like, oh, geez, what's his problem with love? You know? Mm. Anyway, speaking of having a problem with love, you want to talk about this comic book? Sure. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? I am cautiously optimistic that this is a two, three-part maximum <laughs> story that this is the beginning, it'll have a middle and then an end. And then um, we can go to the next thing. It's, uh, wow. it's, it's not setting up a, you know what I mean? Like a long, complicated alien 
rat monster thing? I agree with you. I am not even cautiously optimistic at this point. I'm just pre-angry at what I think is going to happen. Just because there is such a poor track record in recent history of intriguing first issues of storylines having maddening follow-ups and conclusions. I'm almost angry at how much I like this comic and how intrigued I am with the story. It's a good comic, and that pisses me off. (laughs) There's probably some word for that. It's not Stockholm Syndrome exactly, but it's like something where you're having feelings that you know you're not supposed to have or you Mm -hmm. shouldn't have. I don't know. I also liked it, although I'm really frustrated that Eric Forrester is back. Yeah. And because he, I mean, yeah, duh, they set it up so like he's a total like slime ball and, you know, right. good job. Yeah, we're supposed to hate him and we do hate him. Mm-hmm. He was the guy who, in his one previous appearance, the rest of the Titans sat around and watched him have a physical through one way glass and had a lengthy discussion about what a great dick he had. Yep. Uh, and then he was a total douche. So yeah, we're not really set up to like this guy. He did, I think, last time say that he had slept with half of the women at Star Labs, which is odd because in this issue, it at least seems like it's setting up that having sex with Eric Forrester leaves you a desiccated husk. Mm -hmm. Like that's what was happening with Barbara at the end, right? Yeah, some kind of creepy sex vampire. So my suspicion is that We know that I think at least half of the people at Star Labs are secretly wildebeest in disguise. Mm -hmm. So if he slept with only those people, then maybe wildebeest-like powers counteracted his sex-sucking... That's not a good (laughs) phrase. But you know what I mean. Yeah. So I think he's just hooked up with Wildebeest a bunch of times. Man, that's going to be a couple confused uh, bad guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, Wildebeest is a master of disguise. (laughs) Guess so. In every situation. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, Eric seems like a real fucking douche. I gotta say, it is setting up some parallels between him and Joey and their respective treatment of women, where the treatment of women... Up to a certain point, we don't think so far at least that Jericho is draining all of their spiritual energy. Is that what Moondragon used that phrase? Yeah, I think so. But, I mean, in terms of their womanizing, it seems almost identical up until that point, with the exception of Joey feels bad about it and Eric thinks it's cool. Yeah, we see Joey potentially turning a corner and... Not saying no to To a second date, a a sleepover, like an all night sleepover. I don't know. What I saw that as it is establishing a pattern that not only is Joey sleeping with a lot of women, but here we are seeing that with at least one or two of them, they are certainly of the opinion that it is a more dedicated, probably monogamous relationship. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know? Mm hmm. So, I don't know, a bunch of shit that Joey did in this issue did not sit right with me. The fact that he immediately went and, after Raven was like, 
Hey, please don't tell anybody that I'm sleeping with this guy. I'm only telling you because I can trust you. He immediately is like, hey, everybody, Raven's sleeping with this guy, and I think he's a jerk. And also, Cyborg, I stole your girlfriend's diary. I love how Vic, too, is just like, grabs the diary and starts reading it, and he's like, oh, yeah, totally, man. <laughs> like Everybody's reactions in this are a little bit over the top, and, like, they are so easily swayed by anything. Cyborg's like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Joey's like, huh? And he's like, oh, shit, you're, you're right. Good point. Then they confront Raven and are like, hey, we have a lot of evidence that this guy isn't on the up and up. And then she's like, no, fuck you guys. And leaves. And I understand her reaction completely. I think that it makes sense. But as soon as she leaves, everybody's like, she raises a good point. She was right about all that stuff. And it's like, there has to be some middle ground. It, it can't just be like, you people are a bunch of gullible chumps. Oh, he's right. We are gullible chumps. Good point. Yeah, that 180 was a little jarring. I was thinking of it like, if there was an intervention, and people were like, Corey, we're really concerned about your, you know, whatever it is that we're concerned mm -hmm. about. And I was like, go to hell. And they are like, oh, oh, good point. No, we yeah, were way too hard on we you. We should I'm go sorry. to hell. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Let's, bye. You guys, do you want a carpool? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That being said, I think Raven's reaction to them is perfectly justifiable, if maybe a little bit over the top. It does seem like, if nothing else, maybe they could start putting those team roster subway posters on magnets or something it seems like it is just asking for trouble someone is always either just tearing those down and defacing them as they quit out of anger or busting through them like kool-aid man or something i think magnets are probably the way to go or removable decals or like put some dry erase markers up so people can have their fun and then you can because, you know, they're, those are very expensive to print. And at least probably once a week, somebody's getting a stupid little mustache or yep. like one of their teeth colored in. <laughs> so it looks like it's missing. Or... Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good call. Or maybe people are drawing mullets on them and then removing the mullets as the whim strikes them. I will say I was very confused and alarmed by the cover of this issue because I thought that was probably Dick Grayson on the cover at first. Because the Titans have been drawn with these Schrodinger's mullets over the past few episodes. <laughs> I know Dick generally doesn't have a mullet, but he has for a few panels here and there. And so when you see Raven making out with somebody and we're supposed to be, I think, alarmed by it, the cover says Ravenous Liaisons, or Ravenous, but mm -hmm. I think we're probably supposed to mispronounce it because of her name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought that was Dick at first. Did you think that was Dick? Yeah, the thought crossed my mind. I was mostly, though, distracted by um, something that we've talked about before quite a bit on the show, mm -hmm. which is how weirdly people kiss in this, yeah. these comics. Yeah, he's either, I don't know, sucking on her chin or her I think tongue he, or... To me, it looks like he is sucking on where her soul patch would be. And I mean, I don't know. She's got a lot of other soul things going on with her. Maybe Raven does have a soul patch mm. if she does have it shaped like a bird. That's got to be hard to maintain. I would think so, but it is the 90s. A lot of soul patches? A lot of bird-shaped soul patches. I don't know if you remember that. It was a whole thing. That's made up. There was Just a very well-manicured, bird-shaped nope. soul patches. They just, a lot of people do the Phoenix logo there. They just had regular... Or the Phoenix Suns logo there. Charles Barkley was on that team. Very popular team. 
Yeah, he was. He was a good basketball player, but that doesn't mean that there was a he soul fought patch Godzilla. Thing. I'm still not buying it. No, I'm pretty sure. It's been a while, but uh, which one of us has been to a show at an anarchist bookstore more recently? Fine. I mean, I just think I know a little bit more about the 90s in Portland than you do. <laughs> no, you're right. It is a very weird kiss. And it's not, to my mind, the only weird display of physical affection in this book, because we see a few pages into it when Joey is playing the flute for Leg Warmer Lady in the park, Raven comes in, and she runs up and gives him, I think, a hug. It looks like it might be another just, like, really way badly timed kiss. Everyone reacts to it as though it is a kiss. But it looks mostly like they are hugging, with the exception of the expression on Joey's face looks like he is very surprised to be being kissed. It's just a weird interaction. So her face is kind of buried on the side of his neck that we cannot see. Mm -hmm. And it's entirely possible she is, I don't know, like... Just giving Stick, him a hickey. Sticking her tongue in his ear. Maybe. Or doing something weird because he looks very surprised and his hands are like, he's getting ready to almost like push her away. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. And Paul and Tina are both like, whoa, we heard she was reserved. But clearly this is a hussy on the go who's all about smooching. A hussy on the go, all about smooching. Hub, that's so, I'm paraphrasing so slightly. ribbled <laughs> of you. It's not me. Paul and Tina are speaking through me. Oh, I see. I would never be so forward in my description. Okay. okay. Uh, I'm not trying to hug shame anyone. <laughs> uh, I see on the go. Who loves to smooch? What a thing. <laughs> well, that is how they see Raven, and that is weird to me. It's not the only example of, I, I would say, almost like virgin slut shaming that happens in this book, because... We see once again a return to the trope that, oh boy, you better hope no woman is powerful because if they have emotions, look out, it's all over, something terrible will happen. It is a return to that for Raven, where previously she had been, no, it's cool, I can have emotions now, this is great, I need to get used to them. We see the first time that she tries to display having emotions, oh, it's a big mistake. And we are definitely given the impression she is fending off Eric's advances and is abstaining from having sex with him. And we're, I think, supposed to think, oh, good, because if she has sex, then it's all over for her. Uh, I mean, we're supposed to see that, I think, given what happened to Barbara. But also, I don't know, it ties into this whole thing that is kind of a running theme with Raven and with other powerful bird ladies, like, you know, the Jean Grey Phoenix. And it, it seems to be an 80s, and we see it continuing into the 90s trope that, boy, you better hope women don't have emotions. They're either going to evil themselves to death or make everyone else die or something. Yeah, the portrayal of her longing for intimacy and the way that that's denied her in this mm -hmm. issue... It and and in previous issues is a total bummer for yeah. the character. And yeah, it does it also reminds me of like the eighties horror movie thing too. Which, right. Right. Like if you have sex, you're probably gonna get murdered or some bad shit's gonna happen. Right. But really only if you're a woman, because yeah. we don't see any negative consequences from Joey's philandering. He still gets to, you know, play the flute in the park and wear a cool mohair trench coat and Yeah. Everybody yeah, no. thinks he's rad. Man, what a weird exchange where 
So I guess his flute teacher slash Tina's dance instructor, this guy Paul. Yeah. I was like, man, I've only given him two lessons. Is he that good at everything? Mm-hmm. And then that becomes like a, a sex joke. Yep. Where, yeah, he's just, he's able to get away with uh, all kinds of behavior that none, none of the ladies in, in this book. Could. He is. And I think it is a overcorrection on the part of the writers or what they would view as an overcorrection, where initially they had written him, I read in an interview with the intent of having him be a queer character. And then they decided they didn't want to do that because they didn't want him to be too stereotypically gay, where he was into the arts and stuff. And so they decided to make him totally in the other, no, no, look at, look at all of the ladies he's sleeping with. He's not gay at all. And that argument, I know we've discussed it before, but it's just a bad argument, especially when it's like, so Marv Wolfman. You have written every single appearance of this character. If you don't want him to be a stereotype, don't make him a stereotype. Like, it's on you. Well, I've already shown him painting landscapes, so... It's just, it's a dumb, bad argument. Yep. And knowing that going into this, that they then make it a big part of his character, all of the ladies that he is sleeping with all the time, it just seems weird and a little bit extra gross you know yeah i did mention that i was angry at how much i liked this comic book one of the things that i really liked about it is that it is my favorite type of a new teen titans comic it is a slice of life drama and those were the parts that i really really enjoyed i don't really know why i like it so much that they have a little discussion at dinner about the fact that robots are lactose intolerant but i thought that was pretty fun i particularly enjoy dr sarah charles constant shutting down of speedy I she know. does not like him no and, and it's it's it tickles me they have at best a very very casual acquaintanceship too he is her boyfriend's work friend like there is not like a oh we're good friends so i get to tease you about this shit she's just like you're a fucking creep. Stop being a fucking creep. And calls him out on it constantly. I loved that. And mm-hmm. I love that about her. And I think it's great character building for her. And I'm glad whenever anybody calls Speedy out and calls him a creep. Yeah, good stuff. The other instance in which he's called out, kind of, is when they are having their intervention with Raven. And Speedy is like, oh, she's getting pretty emotional and whips out a bow and arrow. And it is not a like boxing glove arrow. It is a pointy end arrow. And he's clearly like, oh, uh, she's getting a little bit too emotional. I'm going to shoot her. Yeah, yeah. Time to put her down. Yeah. And Cyborg's reaction to that is, and I bet he uses this phrase a lot, Speedy, she's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, first of all, is not what you do with an arrow. Like, arrows generally don't have sheaths. No, no, they have um, a quiver. A quiver. Although yeah. I can see not wanting to say to Speedy, quiver it. <laughs> I don't know exactly what that means, but it seems like a phrase that has enough leeway that I don't want to see what Speedy would do with it. No, you don't. I feel like he might start twerking. At best. <laughs> best case scenario, he twerks. <laughs> yeah. No, all the, the speedy shutting down was, was one of the highlights of this uh, mm-hmm. issue for me. 
But I, there were also other little touches that I liked. It's just such a small moment, but when Raven's powers start acting up, that her go-to is, oh, I was raised on Azeroth, so we don't have all the same immunities that you guys do. I'm probably coming down with a cold. I'm immunocompromised, so I'm going to go uh, seal myself away from everybody. Yeah, I had a note about, wow, what a doozy of a cold it must be if it makes your superpowers go super haywire. Yeah, well, it's just she doesn't know what will happen because she's never been exposed to it. Like, she's never had a cold in her life. Or she has had one cold in her life, and it was when she was, like, 25 and was like, what the fuck is this? I guess anything's on the table. I can feel bad? What? Yeah, that would be weird, actually, right? If you haven't had your whole childhood of getting the flu or whatever, mm-hmm. and then it happens. If you get sick for the first time, throwing up would freak you the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Or, like, having congestion for the first time. Or just, like, really bad seasonal allergies. Yeah, or diarrhea. Or all of that. Poor Raven. Dang. One of the other uh, slice-of-life moments we get is uh, everybody sitting around the table and gossiping. I thought that was fun. That they're all just like, hey, do you think uh, Joey and Raven are hooking up? Because that was something that had some, like, stops and starts before, mm-hmm. where they tried to lean it in the direction of, oh, are they developing a relationship? And between that and bringing back Eric Forrester after, I don't know exactly how many, but I think it was, like, 16 or 17 issues, something like that, remembering previous plot points is kind of nice, having those callbacks. I noticed that this issue was co-plotted by George Perez, which many of the last few have not been. We also have a new editor working on this, John Peterson. He's been part of the creative team for the past few books anyway. But uh, I had read an interview where he talked about, like, around this time, he kind of took more of a hand in the storying of the stories. Mm. And I don't know. I think it shows and it is having an effect. I think one of the weaknesses of the book in the past has sometimes been when Wolfman has acted as his own editor. I think a lot of times when that happens, it means you just don't have an editor. And I think this is a step in the right direction. It was kind of cool. Yeah, it was well plotted. And I did find myself thinking, especially like the Azeroth scenes with the bits of rock and stuff flying around. It really Mm -hmm. reminded me of Perez's layouts and and artwork yeah no tom grummet i think has been doing a great job with the art and i am adjusting to alvey's inks or they and grummet are working together better than maybe they were in the initial issues but uh i'm for the most part really liking the art that creative team does not do children particularly well it came up i think in the last issue with the kids that were at the park but you see it with both donna's stepdaughter and a random kid in Washington Square Park, where it's like, oh, this is some Renaissance-level shit, where you just made a tiny middle-aged person. I'm gonna put a big grown-up head on a tiny body and call it good. Mm-hmm. It's a weird, uncanny valley between, like, toddler and tween. It's a tween-sized toddler, kind of, and it just looks wrong and scary. Yeah, I didn't like it. The no. kid's head is too big. No, thank you. What do you think the odds are that Terry Long actually wrote that paper that's getting published? I was under the impression it was a whole book. I was at first, but then I think that gets walked back. I actually wrote down 
Terry publishes a book, and then I crossed out book and wrote paper. Because at first, it is described as his treatise. And so then I was like, oh, that's a book. And then... Yeah, what does that mean? Does that mean that's just like a, an idea, right? But since this party is in honor of your paper, let's toast, my dear sweet husband. God, he finally wrote that fucking thing. He finally thing. wrote that fucking thing, and it is a paper. Like, I'm, I'm sure it's a lengthy paper at this point. If he's the one who wrote it, I still think Donna probably did. But it has been years. He has been fired from at least one professor job during this time. And he has finally published a paper. And the paper is Greek Gods, Myth and Reality. Which the whole paper could just be him saying, So Donna, you've met all these Greek gods. What are they really like? Is that even an academic paper at that point? Or is it just a People magazine interview? Oh, no, I don't even think it's like an interview. I think it's him being, and then Donna did this, and it was cool because of this. I think you are totally right. She's going to read that and be like, Terry, what the fuck? (laughs) He's just writing fan fiction about his wife and getting it published in uh, academic papers because, hey, you know, it's sweeps week. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'll be surprised if he does something that is like a really redeeming kind of move at some point. I'll be really surprised. Yeah, me too. And you know what? I don't think we're going to be surprised. (laughs) I don't think so either. Man, I hope I never get in an argument with any of the Teen Titans because those guys do not fight fair. Mm. Both Raven and Donna just bring up super old shit when they're having their arguments that are like, whoa, that is not on the table right now. Starfire's like, so we're worried about this guy you've been dating. Um, You know, Joey did steal Sarah's journal to get this information, but we know some bad things about him and we're just worried about you. And Raven immediately goes to, oh yeah, well you got space married and we're mean to dick about it. Yeah, that was uh, pretty harsh. And has nothing to do with the situation, but is just her being like, boom. And you know what else? You got all mad at me when I used my powers to make your boyfriend make out with me. What's that about? Yeah, like, I get that she's upset, but (laughs) she didn't really come out of this looking great. Well, in my mind, neither does Donna when her reaction to being criticized slightly by Raven is saying, Whoa, 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 whoa. When you first met us in the first issue, you controlled Wally West's emotions, and that was pretty fucked up. It's like, dude, that is off the table. That has been dealt with a lot since then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, are you bringing that up with every argument? Because it kind of gave the impression that she was. I mean, for one thing, that was to save the entire multiverse. And it wasn't a cool thing to do, but Raven has just been like, look, I was new to Earth. I didn't know what I was doing. I agree that was really fucked up, and I have repented for that so many times. But every time I forget to do the dishes, it's like, you made Wally fall in love with you? It's like, yeah, I fucking know. Like a hundred years ago, probably, unless it was last week, the timeline in these comics is confusing. Yeah, it is so unfair to do that. And really, that's the kind of thing that's going to fracture any sort of relationship, whether it's a intimate one or a mm-hmm. friends one or a super team slash friends living in the house together one. 
He just can't bring up old shit over and over again. And if that is something that the Titans cannot get over in regards to Raven, because I can understand that if somebody had, like, used magic powers to manipulate my emotions. Corey, if you were thinking of doing that, please don't, because I I would really not like it. And I would have a hard time getting over that once it had happened. And I probably would get suspicious every time I had a feeling that, like, it was fucking Corey again. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, if that is going to be the case, and that is going to be something that they can't get past, then she should quit the team. She should not be hanging out with people like that. And they would both be better off. Like, they do need to either work through that or be able to put it behind them. And I thought they had put it behind them, but if it's going to come up every time they argue, that's not cool. Yeah, I think everybody overreacted in that it escalated too quickly. That said, Raven really... I feel like went a little above and beyond with the the overreaction thing. She went for the nuclear option like right out of the bat. Pretty much immediately. That said, if I am in a situation like I will never be in a situation like that because I'm so conflict averse. But (laughs) if I was that mic drop of like doing a giant go to hell and then exploding into your soul self with orange clouds Mm -hmm. and smoke and everything. Tearing in half a picture of you as you do it. That is so much drama. It very much is. What an exit. Yeah. Nice job. Mm. We see again, and this has been demonstrated time and time again at this point, that Speedy is terrible at idioms. Like, he clearly has some phrases that he wants to use and likes to use and is waiting for the setup and then doesn't wait for the right setup. If it's anything close to it, he will bust this shit out. But what he... Did you... I googled it. It's not a thing. No. I think he came up with this phrase, and he's like, oh, I'm totally going to use this. He uses a phrase that is similar to one where somebody says, well, if this was different and this was different, then this would be the case. And there is a response to that, like, yeah, and if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a bicycle. Which, you know... It's not true, but I I do enjoy that. And that is like, if you have the right setup for it, that would work. Speedy does one that the setup isn't there and it doesn't work as a phrase. Starfire says, we could be wrong, you know. And Speedy says, yeah, and if my uncle sang soprano, he'd be my aunt. So what? 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 He's the guy that just says stuff and everybody just pretends he didn't say it. It's just easier that yeah. way. And you just move on. Yeah. <sighs> Fucking Speedy. What is he even doing still on this team? You know, I was thinking about that, and I'm glad that yeah? he's around because she's just always going to be the fuck up, and it's nice to have a fuck up around. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because Cause if you look around and you don't know who the fuck up is, it might be you. That's the thing. But, I mean, we're not on the Teen Titans, so we know it's not us. Yeah, but I gotta pick one every issue. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, he definitely does a bad job. He's supposed to be on monitor duty at one point, and he just wanders away, and that's when Joey (laughs) steals Sarah's diary and starts reading He had one job, and he just walked off. (laughs) Yeah. He also is... In no position to be criticizing someone for hooking up with a person with questionable morals. He dated a fucking super assassin and has a child with her. 
and I think maybe has an ongoing relationship with her. I'm not entirely sure at this point. But either way, you don't get to be like, Raven, what are you doing? You're dating somebody who we suspect might not be a good person. Well, you know where Speedy's thing was coming from with this guy, right? That he's not him? Yeah, he's jealous. Yeah. Jealous of that enormous penis. and <laughs> He wasn't even there, though. So oh, he's probably he's heard. I'm sure he's heard about it. <laughs> oh, he's heard. Well, maybe he read Sarah's diary. <laughs> <laughs> Guy's a real creep, but... <laughs> homina, homina. <laughs> yeah, speaking of Speedy's past relationship and his parental situation, that's one of the zingers that Sarah gets him with. Where Oof. He's being a real creep on Starfire, being like, hey, are you free tonight? And Sarah just, out of nowhere, pretty much is like, why? So she can babysit your kid? <laughs> Which, I like Sarah, but that one's unfair. Especially if he is not currently in a relationship with Cheshire, which we don't know whether he is or not. But there are many reasons why Roy should not be hitting on Starfire. I mean, first and foremost amongst them, she is in a committed relationship with his best friend. So to immediately go to, fuck you, single dad. I don't like Roy, but that's out of line. And the subtext is, whose mom is a super assassin and therefore evil, and so your kid is questionable. <laughs> Whoa, I didn't even pick up on that, but you probably... I, I don't know, it was implied. <laughs> That's a lot of implication. I must have missed a bit of italics or something in the speech. This is a raised eyebrow. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's pretty harsh. I did like the follow-up zinger better, which I would suspect that we will get to these later on. <laughs> I would suspect. Well, Corey, there's a lot more to cover, but I think most of it's going to come up for me in the minutia. You ready to move into the minutia? Let's do it. Okay. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what category do you feel like starting with? As we so often do, I would like to just jump right into sartorially speaking. My goodness, there is a lot of fashion in this issue. Which elements of fashion did you find most noteworthy? I think the most overwhelming panel for fashion is the one that we've talked about it quite a bit already. It's got the weirdly sized kid on mm -hmm. it. It's got the very 80s looking dancing woman oh yes leg warmer lady leg warmer Tina, lady i believe her name is yep and the coach paul who's got a like a flash dance style crop top gray sweatshirt over possibly a white button-up work shirt tucked into some high-waisted jeans and a spiky topped blonde mullet with thick glasses. This is an aggressive mullet. There are no half measures with this mullet. It's not a Schrodinger's mullet. You can't just wish it away. Nope. It is in your face. This is the kind of mullet that I think even at this point, it would have stood out in 1990. You had a mullet, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. I had a mullet too at did. that era, but we didn't even have a name for it. There wasn't the word mullet back then when I had mine. Not that I know of. I just had long hair in the back, and my dad said I needed to look presentable, so I needed to keep it short on the sides and on top. Mm-hmm. That was not good advice. No, you need to have it balanced a little bit, too, I feel like, so it doesn't look super goofy. Mm -hmm. So mine, I had kind of like a pompadour on the top. Yeah, and, and then... you had the pompadour part dyed blonde, didn't you? Yeah, and then the, and then the flowing 
locks in the back. Right. But then I went to the haircut place and there was a miscommunication and I got like pretty much like a spiky flat top, but they left the long bits in the back. Oh. And man, it looked real bad. I'm sorry. It's okay. But yeah, I don't know what Paul's hairdresser was telling him because that shit is out of control. Even for this era, it is a very pronounced mullet. Paul definitely stood out, as did Tina in her really full-on Jane Fonda workout album, leg warmer outfit that she is wearing to the park to dance to flute music. The confidence that all three of them have is supreme, and I envy it. It's impressive. It's very impressive. I also like Joey's shoes. He's like wearing white and yellow wingtips. They reminded me of the pumas that have the toe that goes up into the tongue. Oh, okay. a different color. I can see that. Either way, it's a good look, and I like his sweatshirt, too. Of the three of them, I think he is dressed the best. Leg Warmer Lady has what look like some really cool lilac-colored Adidas soccer shoes or dancing shoes that match her, mm-hmm. her leg warmers. Oh, it is a very put-together outfit. It is very composed, and she is just dancing and prancing up a storm. Because Joey's a very good flautist after only two lessons. Wow. Yeah, he's a quick study. And also in that panel, in the background, there is a guy juggling, wearing what to me looks like a very 80s lime green tummy showing shirt. Yeah, he's wearing a crop top that he would not look out of place frolicking on the beach with Rocky and Apollo Creed in Rocky 3. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's not the only notable fashion in this issue. On the very first page, I absolutely fucking love Donna's shirt, and I love Sarah's shirt. Yeah, I had those two. They they are similar in their design. They are both like polo-adjacent shirts, but with different colored ring bands around the cuff of the sleeve and the collar. Donna's is like mustard yellow with a bright red collar and ring on the sleeves. Sarah's is, it doesn't have the polo shirt collar. It's like got a V-neck with like one button on the, at the bottom of the V, and that is gold, and the shirt is white. It's a great look. They both look very fashionable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this came up briefly, but at the end when uh, Joey is doing his detective work looking for Arella, it says he's look he's showing a picture of her and it just says name Arella no last name they do know her initial full name she might be using that as an alias like he's been a detective since he was a little kid mm-hmm. I would think he would do a better job than that but what he could not do a better job doing is wearing a mohair trench coat over a white t-shirt and jeans it is a badass look he looks cool I don't know the mullet doesn't look cool it's era appropriate and he's got a nice blonde perm on that mullet would it be better if he still had his mutton chops of course it would but you know at a certain point you gotta just accept what's there Mm. you play the game that the defense gives you and uh given that haircut it's a great outfit fair enough I suspect there might be some overlap in our answer to this, but who did you have as your president of the drama club? Let me see what my notes say. Uh, Oh, I don't know. Raven? Mm Mm-hmm. Her extra-dimensional meltdown, her 
tearing up a giant poster of herself as she leaves the room and yells, go to hell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would be very difficult to choose anyone else. I think a lot of her reactions in this are at least somewhat justified, but it is also extreme and a little bit over the top. Yeah, and also, I mean, it's more subtle, but balanced with those early romance blinders, I guess, that one can have. Yeah. Where super creepy Eric is like, I told you never to come to my apartment. Don't don't teleport here. Don't do it without calling first. And she's like, why? Is somebody there? He's like, no, it's just really dirty. And she's like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, Eric is an old hand at this shit, but it is clear that she is being gaslit in certain regards, and he is very controlling and is trying to isolate her from her friends and doing some pretty textbook creepo cult leader style behavior he's being very controlling yeah and it's just it's such a juxtaposition of her i don't know going along with it Mm -hmm. and then you know on the other side of that because of that control how strongly she's reacting to her friends yes she is very defensive in a way that i think would maybe imply that she has some of these concerns as well yep Well, speaking of things where there may be some overlap, let's take this party to the Bozone. What instance of one character calling another character a Bozo do you want to talk about? And why is it Sarah berating Speedy? I like it when there's just so many opposites. Here we have somebody who is unattractive. (laughs) We have somebody who is not charming. Mm Mm-hmm. And we have somebody who is unromantic. Yep. All wrapped up in one zinger. (laughs) All wrapped up in one arrogant archer. And also delivered as the answer to a very stupid and whiny question. What does he have that I don't have? Yeah, what's so great about Joey? And Sarah is just basically does the equivalent of like, you shut your stupid fucking mouth right now, Speedy. You keep Joey's name out that mouth. He's great. You're nothing. You're nothing. I mean, I'm paraphrasing slightly. What she does actually say is, as you certainly implied, Speedy says, what's Joey got that I haven't? And Sarah says, you mean besides charm, looks, and a romantic soul? Damn. Yeah. Zing. Mm-hmm. Well done. Uh, yeah, and the other one that I think was unnecessarily harsh and unfair when he is hitting on Starfire and says, free tonight, gorgeous? And she says, For what, Roy? To babysit your daughter? Yeah. Zing. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. There was some fun wordplay between the inept bank robbers, I guess. Mm -hmm. Gus and Fred. Yeah. I mean, those guys were assholes. When uh, Fred is taken over initially by Joey, (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. Something's inside me. uh." And Gus calls him a uh, a damn moron. Mm. That's a pretty good insult. I also liked it when... Cyborg is talking with Joey about Eric. He says, what are you wasting your time checking his scuzzy records for? I like the implication that he, this guy is such a scuzz that even his records are scuzzy. Everything connected with this individual is just covered in scuzz. Yeah, Cyborg also calls Eric a slimeball mm-hmm. and a creep. It's funny those didn't even stand out because those seem less like insults than just factual statements. Mm -hmm. 
every issue of a Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and also a Beast Boy, the worst of Teen Titans, until Danny fucking Chase showed up, and arguably until Speedy came back. In this issue, who did you have as your Aqualad, and who did you have as your Beast Boy? So based on uh, what you said at the top of the show, I I think we may have some disagreement here. Mm. But for my Aqualad, I went with Joey. Oh. Because he did something that I would just not be able to do, which is to betray the confidence of a friend because you really believe that that is for their safety. The way you do that is to talk to the friend first. He doesn't do that. He goes immediately to the rest of the group. He does, but the reason that he does that is because he's like, guys, I'm concerned, but I need you to help me like fact check this to make sure that I'm not blowing things out of proportion or like, do I have reason to be concerned? Should we be blah, blah, blah? Mm. I think that it was kind of a screwed up way to do things, but I think it was what had to be done because if he had went to Raven, we... Well, we know how that would go. We saw that already. We don't know how that would go. We don't know how it would go if he confronted her as a peer and dealt with her with some degree of respect for her autonomy. Like, he immediately is like, hey, everyone else needs to step in and get you out of this situation, which I understand his concern. It is not misplaced concern. But the way he went about it, I felt, was really disrespectful to her and was an immediate betrayal. Like, she asked him, I, you're the only person I can trust. I, I don't want to tell anybody else about this yet. That's fine. If then he wants to look into things and it's like, I don't know, I feel weird, and he talked to her, I think that whole thing would have gone pretty differently. Yeah, that's fair. But I don't know. I still think something needed to happen. Maybe he didn't go about it in the best way, but it is better than doing and that his, nothing. And his first go-to move is, okay, so... He wants to look into this. So he looks up Eric's records and he's like, oh, these records are fine. There's nothing on here that is suspicious about this guy. Guess I better steal Sarah's diary and read that and compare the two. That is a wild swing and totally <laughs> inappropriate. And I'm tempted to give my beast boy to Cyborg for being like, oh, you got my girlfriend's diary? Cool. I'm just going to skim through this and look for my name. Yeah, that's all questionable. but. I don't know. Action had to be taken. He took action in a way that was a a tough call. It was a tough call. I think it was a wrong call. I think that things worked out okay, but I think that his actions are not justifiable based on the information he had. I had him as my beast boy. I figured we would have one of those. For my Aqualad, I really want to give it to Sarah. I don't think we can consider her a Teen Titan, but she razzed Speedy so good, and he was such a turd in this issue. I think I'm going to go with Donna for making a delicious non-dairy gravy for Cyborg, taking his dietary restrictions into account while hosting a dinner party, especially for a novice chef. Good for her. (laughs) That was considerate. That's true. For my Speedy, I went with um, Speedy. Yeah. For reasons we've discussed already. Yeah, no, I mean, he is a real fucking turd. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, I I do find myself grading on the curve of Speedy for him. (laughs) Even on that curve, he is pretty bad in this issue. No, he objectively does a terrible job. He does do a terrible job and also, like, has no strength in his convictions, is a complete hypocrite, 
is a sleazeball hitting on his friend's girlfriend while his friend is off running his circus. And, I mean, just also, we talked about it already, but it, it really rubbed me the wrong way. That's like, oh man, my friend's freaking out. I'm gonna have to shoot her. Yeah! That, that is his go-to. It's like, ooh, I'm hearing some emotion in that voice. Let me get out my arrow and sheathe it. Yep. Also, you know, behaving in such a way that uh, Cyborg is forced to use an inappropriate term like sheathe it, as opposed to quiver it, because you know that no good would come of that. He probably learned that from experience. I bet he's everyone is just so used to, like, telling Speedy to put his goddamn dick away <laughs> that, they're, <laughs> that they're just constantly saying sheathe it. Yeah. They probably, like, have that embroidered on a cross stitch so they can just gesture towards it whenever he does just that. point. Yeah. Sheathe it. <laughs> to find a timestamp in this issue. We talked about this quite a bit, but it's that weird beginning of the 90s that's still the late 80s thing. Mm -hmm. And so it feels more to me like a mid to even earlier 80s timestamp, but all the fashion during the flute dance scene. Yeah, the aerobics outfit definitely did have a 90s vibe to it. Mm -hmm. I think that's a fair choice. I went with a little bit more on the nose one. It's a reference that Terry Long makes to the 49ers yes donna says terry you know i don't believe in matchmaking when she is clearly matchmaking for both her old roommate sharon tracy and everyone has been like trying to push joey and raven together mm -hmm. terry's response is yeah like the 49ers don't believe in winning super bowls at the time that this comic book came out within the past decade the 49ers had won four super bowls a good timestamp. At this point, the 49ers have not won a Super Bowl in like 27 years. So that clearly is not a current reference. Yep. And yeah, that was really their last period of dominance. They won one in, I believe, 95. But other than that, slim pickings. Corey, let's have ourselves a Battle of the Band Names. <laughs> what band names were you able to find in this comic? The first one, I think they're a punk rock outfit called the Personality Transplants. Oh, Personality Transplants are pretty good. Yeah. I like that. That does sound kind of punk rock. Yeah. I had a band that I think would be, I don't know, probably put together by a record label in the 90s, kind of a 90s prefab alternative grunge band called Soul Bubbling. As you know, like the, like the record execs are like, well, you know, there's Soul Coughing, mm -hmm. there's a Soul Collective, Soul Asylum. What's left? Uh, Soul bubbling. Let, let's try that one. Yeah. Well, well, souls do a lot of stuff. Kids will love this. Bubbling like a bong. Okay, yeah. Um, Soul bubbling. Yeah. That's where probably the kids will That's like that. That's what they call it, probably. Yeah, somebody slap a soul patch on Steve Vai and put this super group together. <laughs> I, I think mean, he already had one. What? Didn't oh, Steve Vai already have one? Yeah, probably, but you know, a worse one. <laughs> 
Dick Digger's little back. I was just trying to think of somebody that like the record labels would hire as like a hired hand for a project like that. Oh, okay. I'm not I'm not trying to disparage Steve Vai. Here. Oh, he's a talented musician. Very talented musician. But if you were the head of a record label and were like, well, this guy isn't really grunge, but we'll put him in a grunge band. Yeah, like, sure. he's probably on your list. Okay. Him, Stu Ham. Bass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, probably got, uh, what's his face, Herb, who is in Primus and uh, Tenacious D. Uh-huh. Herb, what's his face on drums? Uh-huh. And then... Uh, the Brain, who could be your drummer. Yeah, yeah, you just, uh, yeah, him and Buckethead. Yeah, the Brain and Buckethead. Yeah, they come as a combo. Uh-huh. Did you watch that How to Play Drums, How to Play Drums video that the Brain made with, I did. with me and Lee? Yeah. Do you remember what it was called? Of, uh, no, I don't. Shredding Reppies on the Narnar. <laughs> <laughs> Shredding Reppies. So yeah, that's soul bubbling. Shredding Reppies on the Narnar. <laughs> I wish that was an option. Yeah. What else did you have? I also had, I don't know, I think this person is kind of an Everlast knockoff called King O the Bronx. <laughs> King O the Bronx. Not bad. Yeah, it's it's hip hop, but you know, it's got an O with an but apostrophe. W- white so guy of... with an acoustic guitar hip hop? Yeah. Well, I don't care for that. <laughs> I only had two options this week. My other choice is, I think, a metal band, and they are called Daughters of Hell. Ooh. That's good. Yeah, I was surprised there wasn't one already. Mm. There's a band called The Daughters who have a song called Song of Hell. Oh. But uh Daughters of Hell. I think pretty good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, they're just, you know, tough Mm -hmm. ladies playing metal. What do you think we should go with? Okay, let's run it through again. We got Daughters of Hell. Mm -hmm. We have King of the Bronx. Yep, we have Soul Bubbling. And the Personality Transplants. I think in terms of just straight best band name, Personality Transplants, probably. For me, it comes down to Personality Transplants or... Daughters of Hell. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the same bucket. Um, let's go with uh, Daughters of Hell. Okay. If you think they got a shot of uh, ousting whoever's on top. Yeah, let's find out. All right. Daughters of Hell it is. So, Corey, I think we've both mentioned it. The art in this comic, pretty goddamn good. What was your favorite panel? Why? <laughs> On page 13, yep, there is a really good explosion. It's Raven freaking out that uh, her powers are all wackadoo right now. She thinks because she's got a cold. Mm-hmm, but uh, yeah. yeah, she's in a lot of pain and she's causing other people pain when she tries to heal them. And it makes the sound effect. Why? Yeah, it's very dynamic, very purple. Mm-hmm. Uh, good scene. Yeah, a good crackling purple lightning, too, all in the background. Mm -hmm. Not bad. I liked that panel a lot. There were a couple of different ones that I liked a lot. We've certainly discussed it a great deal, but the Washington Square Park panel where Joey is playing the flute for Leg Warmer Lady, it did delight me every time I flipped through the comic and saw it. I think I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention it. I think my favorite panel is a smaller moment in the book. It is as the Titans are preparing for their intervention, they are all standing around and being apprehensive of what is going to happen. Speedy is using his terrible idiom that is not set up properly, but it is a high-angle shot looking down at the Titans as they stand around a little bit apart from one another, looking pensive, 
The high angle shot makes them seem less powerful, as does the use of negative space in it. They seem smaller. They seem unsure of themselves. It's really nicely done. It really gets across the feeling that they are nervous and unprepared for what they are going to do. And I really liked that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a a good one. I also had a tinier moment. That said, I think my ultimate favorite panel is the park dance one, because it's just so much fun. But uh, there was one also that cracked me up, and it's where Joey has taken over Fred, and Fred is punching Gus whilst driving the van and looking absolutely horrified that he's punching <laughs> Gus. And it's it's just, it is a very goofy... It is. People doing shit and being like, why am I doing this? Is always going to crack me up. I'm reminded of, well, two things. One, the scene in Evil Dead where... Bruce Campbell is breaking plates over his head because his hand is possessed and is trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. And B, that time in Mexico where Moses kept hitting himself in the face <laughs> with a shitboard because the wind was <sighs> blowing a piece of cardboard covered in dog shit into his face. Oh. This is the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it, it really was. You guys should listen. It's still up. It's the uh, voting special from many years ago that is... On our feed, we told the story of that happening. So you can, if you want more details, if you don't remember it, go check that out. Well, Corey, I have just one further question I have to ask you. In the relatively arbitrarily determined at this point year of our Lord 1991 and the month of our Lord April, what was Aqualad probably up to, Corey? Wapoo! All right. So in mid-April of 1991, Aqualad and his constant companion, Beaky, were taking in the sights of beautiful city of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Mm. And not surprisingly, due to a misunderstanding, maybe language barrier thing, didn't quite comprehend the properties of the brownies and other baked goods that they oh, had consumed. Dear. Had a little too much Jamaican incense in them. Fortunately, it turned out not to be one of the scary type experiences like that, but just wound up being a real goof of a time where they spent all night playing a game, running around the city of Amsterdam, where Aqualad had a giant thing of kettle corn. And hmm. was throwing it into the air, like, handfuls of it, and Beaky was trying to catch them all. Oh, that's and, fun. Yeah, it was just, like, a fun, whimsical thing. They were doing this, though, like, for hours. Oh. They're getting a little punchy towards the end of it. And potentially, tragically, it was the last handful, and Aqualad just really wanted to give it a big throw, and he stumbled into the street and got hit by a speeding Volkswagen Passat. Oh, no. And... Like, he got knocked out pretty good, but, you know, his sea-strengthened body saved him, but Beaky didn't know this, and Beaky was hopped up on all that sugar from all the kettle corn, Mm -hmm. and really pissed off at the guys driving the station wagon that had, he thought, really hurt his friend, and flipped out and uh, started pooping all over the car and flapping his wings and trying to get into the windows and scared the shit out of the four guys in the car. They abandoned it and left. Turned out that that car had over $500 million worth of stolen Van Gogh prints Whoa! in the back. Wait, $500 million worth of prints? 
of uh no not prints of the actual paintings oh okay i was guys... gonna say like yeah. i know they jack prices in the museum shop but that seems <laughs> like a little bit much no i used the wrong word so yeah these guys had gone to the museum found a place to hide out after it closed and then they came out around three or four in the morning with guns and made the security guys turn off all the security stuff stole all the most valuable stuff put it in their vw passat and <laughs> drove off only to later encounter this enraged pelican that scared them so badly that they left all the paintings in the car, which were then discovered by the, uh, the police at around wow. 5.30 in the morning. That was on the 14th of uh, the month. Well, good for Beaky. Yeah. I'm glad Aqualad was okay as well. Yeah, me too. Well, that may be one thing that Aqualad was up to in April of 1991, but it wasn't the only thing. See. Aqualad was having a long-distance phone call with his friend, Dick Grayson. Dick is trying to run the circus still, but he's still trying to micromanage some things back at the Titan Tower. Because, you know, he's kind of a control freak. So he had heard that once again, one of the Titans had torn up their giant subway poster of themselves, and he was just sick of that shit. So he's like, you know, we should just paint over that. It's fine. We'll get a dry erase board and people can just write their names on that. And then, you know, they can erase it. No harm, no foul. Less dramatic exits. I think this will work out better for everybody. But we're just going to paint over those subway posters. So who does he trust? He calls his best friend, his real best friend. I know Speedy thinks he's his best friend, but he calls his real best friend Aqualad. And is like, Aqualad, I'm out here in San Diego, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to go pick up a couple gallons of Dutch boy paint, bring it to the Titan Tower. And as has come up before, sometimes the cell phone reception in Atlantis on Aqualad's shell phone is not the greatest. So what Aqualad heard was San Diego, Galleon, Dutch, need you to get it. I know where this is. And so Aqualad decided that, oh, okay, well, I had heard rumors that in 1600, there was a Dutch galleon called the San Diego that was sunk in the Philippines. I guess Dick needs that for some reason. So he started doing the excavation and the raising of this uh, Dutch galleon that had been sunk nearly 400 years ago. And he employed his friend, French archaeologist, Frank Godio, that's Frank with a C and a K, mm. and they started bringing this ship up, and then halfway through, Aqualad called Dick Grayson at the circus and was just like, hey, so uh, what do you need me to do with this Dutch galleon? And he's like, what? No, 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 I just want you to get some paint. He's like, oh. So Aqualad abandoned the project, and that is why Frank Godio, in April of 1991, got credit for discovering the Dutch galleon San Diego. In the Philippines. <sighs> Shaking my head at you, Frank. Eh, Aqualad's got plenty of other credits to his name. I suppose so. And that's what Aqualad was probably up to in April of 1991. Eventful month. Indeed. Well, Corey, thank you so much for joining me. Had a great time talking with you about this comic book that it pissed me off that I liked. You're welcome. We'll be back next week to talk some new defenders excited to see how that team is going to come together and then we'll be back in a couple weeks to talk some more new titans in the meantime if you would like to get into touch with us we can be reached at 
ttwasteland at gmail.com or via our post office box at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon 97294 for all your mailing us stuff needs. We're also up on the internet in various places. I've been posting some pictures on Twitter as I've been going through the uh, comic book collection that was bestowed upon me recently, so you can check those out there. And, you know, I say things there too, sometimes, about various things. I mentioned how good I am at spelling words the other day. Like what? Parallel. Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah, you get two L's in the first part and just one at the end. Isn't that weird? Parallel. Yep, there you go. Makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, not to brag, but uh, I can spell that word right pretty much every time. Also, pretty great rapper. Parallel? Yeah. From the Mountain Brothers. Yeah. Yeah, I like him too. He spells it differently, though. Yeah. He spells it peril and then a hyphen and an L. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, not bad. Anyway, you can sometimes find me on Twitter, other times not. So, you know, do your best. And hey, if you can't find me there, there is one more place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? Well, as I've made a mess of the kitchen on my various baking projects, I will be cleaning up the floor in the kitchen of your heart so it's sparkling clean. After that, as a nice reward for myself, I think I may sit back and uh, enjoy one of these delicious sparkly peach lemonade bourbon beverages which you have uh, produced. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we bought some uh, peach lemonade concentrate that's like homemade by chefs and stuff at a party that we went to that was an afternoon party that had a therapy llama at it named Panda. So. I guess what that I'm saying is, is the there was some, Port- yeah, there's that some is, competition for most Portland thing that, I've done recently. That, is, that, is, that takes the cake over the anarchist. You can go to an anarchist bookstore guitar playing thing anytime. Can you? Can't you? I don't know. The guy who was playing was in a 90s Portland band called The New Bad Things. Oh, was that Luke? Yeah. Oh, cool. Does, does that help tip things in its favor? Eh, let's call it a tie. All right. If you'd like to support the show, you can check us out on Patreon. There's a bunch of stuff up there. There are some videos that I've made of going through the comic collection that are posted. You can actually view those without making a donation, but if you do support us through a donation, then you get access to the monthly show. We're going to get back on schedule with being monthly. What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck, that's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast I co-host with my wife, Lisa. There are also a whole bunch of video reviews of classic comics that I've made and a bunch of other stuff that's up there, too. Some bonus podcasts, some of which I've recorded with Corey, some with some other people. A lot of stuff up there for your amusement and as a reward for helping make it possible for us to keep doing the show. So thank you so much for that. Corey, if people would like to support the show in a non-monetary way, how would you suggest they go about that? Well. There's probably a leave a review button wherever you got your podcast from. I would imagine so, because a lot of people have left reviews for us, and I appreciate each and every one of them and read them with delight. Except for the ones that uh, are bad, Uh, which we've only had a few of them. But every time we get one, I'm like, I don't care for that. No, it it hurts a little. Yeah, it it hurts my feelings. Yeah. So don't do that, please. No. But if you do have feedback for us that you don't want to put in a review, 
you could find us on social media. Yeah, or write me a letter. Write a letter, yeah. We got a P.O. box, we got an email address. So, you know, that would be the place for any criticism. Or, you know, you could just uh, fold it up in a piece of paper, bury it in your backyard. Yeah. Get, I get all those. Yeah, or light it on fire. Yeah, yeah. Say some words of power. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, no, those will come to me in my dreams, and uh, rest assured, I'll feel terrible about them. But uh, don't bother gunking up our review feed with those. It's yeah. just going to make everybody sad. So, uh, yeah, there's probably some stars, so pick all those. Yeah, all the stars you can. I think most uh, most times you can just get five of them, but maybe write the site and see if you can have some extra ones just for us. Mm-hmm. And then you could say whatever nice things on your mind. Yeah. We really have gotten some lovely reviews lately, and uh, they warm my heart when I see that the show means something to you guys, because it means something to me, and uh, the fact that you guys listen means a lot to me as well. And it warms my heart, too, because when those nice ones come in, Hub often will text them to me or send me them, and then I read them, and then I feel good, and just all the good feels are going around, and thank you guys for that. And uh, I don't know if you still have energy after leaving us that nice review with all those stars. Another thing that is real helpful is just word of mouth. Yeah. Spreading. Yeah. Listen to the Ludacris album, Word of Mouth. Oh, yeah. Definitely Um, do that. It's a pretty good time. Yeah. And you'll, you'll probably enjoy that. And then you'll be in a good mood. You'll get hyped up. It'll give you the energy you need to talk to a friend or enemy and tell them, what a great show Titan of the Defense is. Yeah. You don't even have to tell the truth. No. Nope. Just, you know, get their foot in the door. Tell them it's a show about sewing if they like to sew. Are they a big fan of the TV show Supernatural? Well, we're a show about the TV show Supernatural. Yeah. You don't even have to know. They'll, they'll listen to it and they'll be like, well, maybe the next episode they'll talk about sewing and or Supernatural. You'd be like, I was stuck in my cubicle driving my Subaru. Mm-hmm. They're over there with weed crumbs under their cuticles, just like Ludacris. Is that, he has a Subaru? No, he's a, he has a lyric about people who are stuck in cubicles that drive Subarus. Oh. Whereas, conversely, he's over there with weed crumbs under his cuticles. Oh, got it. I don't know if it's on that record. Might be. Yep. So you can do that. That would be awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Well, looks like you got your action item. And until next week, um, she that... <laughs> okay. Quiver it? Nope. Corey is twerking his ass off right now. That's not You true. guys at home are missing a hell of a show. That was a pretty good comic. <laughs> Bye. Bye. And they know it. How is this me? You don't need to be scared, Corey. There's not a bomb coming. Oh, it already went off if there was one. No, there wasn't. It was me. You're an amazing sound maker. They call me the Michael Winslow of people. Michael Winslow does not like that nickname. (laughs) Well, because it implies he's not a people. Yeah. 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 I didn't come up with it. He's a police academy guy, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, no, he's a people. I saw him in a movie. There are things in movies that aren't people, Corey. Well, like chairs and stuff. Yeah, but it, like, how do you know he's not CGI?
Mm, because that movie predated Lawnmower Man. <laughs> Good point. Thank you. Halloween candy is on sale right now in August. September, October. Yeah, that's a that's too it's early. unconscionable. I don't like it. No. What's next? Eggnog? Probably. So here's how they've been creeping in eggnog earlier and earlier. They've been doing a pumpkin spice eggnog that they'll start doing, I bet, in the next couple of weeks. Oh, for fall. Yeah. A fall nog. Nog is for winter. Everybody knows that. Except Starbucks. I don't think Starbucks is doing. I just assumed nog. they were the ones. No, it's just supermarkets, Corey. Oh. They're, they're going to keep pulling that stuff. I'm going to start calling them pretty good markets. <laughs> huh? Zing. Yeah. Hit them where it hurts. <laughs> right, in their name. I've been posting pictures of the comics that I... What did you do to those comics, Hob? <laughs> you know. <laughs> They're very good comics. That's not... I've been fucking them, Corey. That's, that, that's, that's the noise yeah. it makes? Is the raspberry? <laughs> Sometimes. That's, those poor comics. Yeah. They seem to like it. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good sex noise no it's terrible sorry <laughs> it's fine so tell that to the comics. comic books anyway tell that to them no 